This is Dave from the Devilish Debaters, and you are listening to Grab Them by the Pod on the Ace Podcast Network. Back here, I am Kevin, along with Jesse. This is Grab Them by the Pod, and we are ready Ke- to Kevin, talk. Kevin, Kevin, I have to interrupt here. Weren't we supposed to have a special podcast last Thursday? Wrong. Wrong? Fake news. F- fake fake news? Is this Kevin, or is this the president? Well, it's Kevin, and we hate to disappoint. And you're right, Jesse. We did say that we were going to, but, you know, much like the president, you know, sometimes we feel if we just deny, 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 then people will forget. Plus, we want to see, you know, how much do you like us? Are you going to stick with us if we make a promise and don't keep it? And I just get, you know, life gets in the way sometimes, like you said, and uh, we figured you guys could hold on until today as we get this new podcast out. Uh, there is a lot to talk about today, and there's a lot of stuff we're not going to cover. Hillary made some remarks today. We're not going to get to that. Uh, John Ossoff is in a dead heat in the uh, Georgia election. We're not going to get to that because there's so much to talk about. So I think we want to start off with what we promised to talk about last week, uh, Trump's tax reform uh, his, I guess you call it his plan. It's interesting because they handed it out during a, a presser, and it was about a hundred pages, double spaced on one piece of paper. It looked like somebody just put it together on Microsoft Word before the uh, before the meeting. Well, these are the types of things that the president prefers. You know, he prefers uh, short, bullet pointed uh, info that is done with graphs and charts, probably color-coded, you know, as opposed to the more in-depth policy briefs that previous presidents might have used to get their information. Well, simple things for simple minds. It's easy for him to understand that way. There were no graphs or charts on it, so maybe it's not totally his plan. But we're going to go over it really quickly, uh, just talk about a couple things. Stop me uh, when you have some comments. Uh, this is... I would not say it's at the same level of, of disaster as a health care bill is, but it's not good for the middle class and lower class, from what I can tell. So they want to reduce the number of tax brackets from 7 to 3, so it'll be 10%, 25%, and 35%. So yeah, the tax code will be simpler, but simpler isn't always better. Uh, when you look at some of the things in there for individuals, they're going to increase the standard deduction, uh, but eliminate every itemized deduction other than homeownership and charitable giving. So first of all, Increasing the standard deduction, it's a good thing, more money in the pockets for all of us, but it may be offset by some of the other problems in this legislation. Uh, you know, Most of us don't give enough to charity, I would imagine, for it to really, really matter. Not that I don't want to, I just don't make that much money. And they're getting rid of things like state and local tax deductions. That's going to hurt a lot of people, especially people in blue states, especially people in Connecticut where we live. It, it's not going to be nice for us. All these things I usually take off of my tax will no longer be relevant. Well, and Jesse, the points you just made show how this tax plan is, as most of us probably predicted, skewed towards the rich. The idea of eliminating some of the deductions that the the average American taxpayer would be able to use and then increasing uh, the amount of deductions able to be done for charitable giving. Well, who gives to charity, as you said, right? Who Who's able to give that much money to charity in order to write it off in their taxes? And it's, that would a, be the It's wealthy. a write-off. It's a write-off. No big deal. Exactly. So this right there just shows how, once again, as we, as we predicted, that this would be a tax plan that favors the rich. And just because they're keeping the, the home ownership tax, they didn't say it's going to stay at the same rate. It's still going to be there. So who knows exactly what it's going to look like? Uh, They also want to repeal several taxes. They want to repeal the alternative minimum tax, the estate tax, uh, the ACA tax on investment uh, income. So let's look at these individually really quickly. So the alternative minimum tax 
it usually affects households with incomes of at least $700,000. It's not the riches of the rich. It's just the rich. And he, by the way, this tax um, caused uh, or cost Trump, who's a billionaire, $31 million in 2005, you know, the tax returns that we have seen. And now he wants to get rid of it. No real surprise there. Well, without the AMT, who knows if he would have paid any taxes at all. And as, as we know, we don't know if he's paid any taxes since 2005. It's the only ones he's released. But without the alternative minimum tax, the very wealthy have the ability to kind of skirt paying their taxes, which is the whole reason why it was instituted back in 1982. He also wants to get rid of the estate tax. Now, the estate tax, you probably know it as the death tax. That's how it's popularly known. That's how they were talking about it in the presser. And to me, when you're in the administration of that level of government, use the proper name. Don't use death tax. And I understand that when I first heard about this when I was younger, I'm like, yeah, it's BS. They shouldn't be taking money away from me when my parents die or my grandparents die or whatever. But unless you're making like five and a half million dollars or so, it's not going to affect you. So it only affects you know, a minority of people. And again, the people who can afford to lose that, that money. I understand if they were upset, but you can't say we're getting rid of the estate tax and it's good for you. No, it's good for the Trump children. Right. And the idea of taxing the wealthy, I know we could argue this for days and there's people that potentially listen to us that would disagree. But the wealthy have the ability to pay and not affect their standard of living to put the burden of taxes on the middle class, on the average American. It's going to impact their ability to get by. So if the tax burden must be given somewhere where better than to those who can most absorb the hit. And, you know, Kevin, we actually don't always see eye to eye on this. We've, we've argued in the past on exactly how much the rich should pay, um, but they shouldn't pay. They shouldn't be getting a lot of tax breaks. Uh, so, you know, you, you can disagree with certain things, but they shouldn't be getting these huge, giant tax breaks that are then claimed to be for the middle class and lower class. It's, it's bait and switch, from what I can tell, uh, at least on the individual side. The top 1%, particularly, not the, forget the top 1%, the top 0.1% are going to benefit the most when it comes to this, and it's not even close. Last fall, the uh, Nonpartisan Tax Policy Center looked at this, and it, it was pretty much the same thing. It's what the Trump campaign put out, and the plan would cut taxes by $6 trillion over 10 years, with almost half of that going to the top 1%. So when you're cutting taxes and $3 trillion are going to the 1%, that's not a tax uh, cut for the middle class. It's a tax cut with very obvious uh, uh, reasons for the rich folk. Not to mention it's just kind of kicking the can down the road. When you have tax cuts, that means that's that's money coming out of the coffers. That's <laughs> money that's coming out of the government's budget. That has to be made up somewhere or we go into deficit, which we know that our, our deficit is already tremendous. So when you take money out of taxes, when there are tax cuts – we have to make up for it somewhere. And their plan to make up for it is – it's just ridiculous. We'll get to that towards the end. But it's its not a real plan. It's like a pie-in-the-sky plan if you ask me. Uh, when it comes to the business side of these things, so they want to reduce the corporate tax rate from 35% to 15%. And how is he going to pay for that? Well, unspecified cuts to special interests and a one-time tax on trillions of dollars held overseas. Like, it's not like, you know, we're going to cut this, this, this. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to make a cut here. We're going to tax here. That's not an answer. That's very vague. And when it comes to this much money being thrown around, you don't want vague answers. You want firm answers. Well, when have we known Donald Trump to be specific? No, no, it's going to be terrific. It's going to be wonderful. We have a plan. We just can't tell you about it. That's, that's the story of Trump's life, uh, at least as president. 
So most companies right now pay about 19% uh, due to deductions, loopholes, all these kind of things. So it's going to be even cheaper for them now. And cutting the tax rate isn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, Obama wanted to cut it to about 28% when he was president. Just just didn't happen. But these taxes are really only paid by the very wealthy. Uh, a cut this big will save these companies, these corporations, $2 trillion over the next decade. And lower taxes are good. I'm not going to complain that. But again, as you said, it's only good – if we can make it up elsewhere, and, and we don't feel like we can, uh, this vague plan to rely on growth. growth it's, the growth is going to pay for it. That's what Steve Mnuchin was saying. In the No, it's, it's, I don't feel comfortable making these big of cuts without, without knowing exactly where this is coming from. And that's code language for trickle-down economics, right? That as the economy grows, as you put more money back into the wealthy, these corporate types, the business owners, you put money back into their pockets, they will grow their industries, and eventually the money will trickle down to you. But that hasn't worked. We haven't seen that. The deficit we have now is created by the Reagan administration because of their – You can love Reagan or hate him. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Kevin. But you can love Reagan or hate Reagan, but you can't say that trickle-down economics works. It's, uh, it's been long enough that we can see it. It just caused a bigger problem. So small business owners are going to get a tax break too. They're going to go down to 15% as well. And they're trying to sell this as a, we're going to help the mom-and-pop stores out there. We want to make sure they have a say in things. But that's not necessarily who's going to get helped. Uh, not only are the mom-and-pop stores going to be helped, organizations, small businesses like, say, the Trump Organization – are also going to be helped because the Trump organization isn't a giant corporation or the way it's structured. They do this on purpose. They're passed through entities with a separate tax system. It, it's a mess, and again, it's just another loophole that they're going to be uh, using to save more and more money. Right, and any American who paid attention to the way that these corporate types structure their companies so as to get around the tax codes, if anyone paid attention to how Donald Trump's company was set up before the election – they would have known that he was not out to support the small business owner. Everything he sold, the bill of goods he sold to get elected about how he was going to cut taxes and, and, and help the small business owners, the mom and pop stores, that's, that's total – that's malarkey. <laughs> his, own, his own companies prove otherwise. They, you, if you look at the, the fine print, you see that they are structured so that they can avoid paying taxes. That's who he's in it for. I used to say, you know, good for them. If they can figure out loopholes and get around it, more power to them. Um, I don't necessarily feel that way anymore. But regardless of how I feel, don't put this in your tax plan and tout it as like a good thing for the lower class. Again, it's just you're helping people like Trump and his ilk get richer and richer and richer while nothing happens to us. And, of course, he wants to get rid of the uh, the ACA's 3.8 surtax on investment income for the wealthy. And that's flat out just getting, getting rich, rid of taxes on rich people. God, I feel like I should be like a socialist somewhere just saying these rich people are making too much money. I, I never talked like this before. It's scaring me. You're taking a page out of my book. I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. This proposal is going to increase the deficit by $10 trillion over the next decade. Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin said he can't guarantee the middle class won't pay more money under this plan once it's done until he sees it on the president's desk. So he's saying, yeah, maybe we maybe the middle class pays more. We don't want it to happen. We're going to fight for it not to happen, but I won't guarantee that it won't happen so you know what's gonna happen is we're gonna end up paying more money he'll say sorry we tried my bad all i can say is that whenever there are tax cuts i will just bring us back about 15 years or so to george w bush administration tax cuts raise the federal deficit end of story it's wonderful in the moment when you don't think ahead and then you're screwed if you don't have a plan to pay for it 
as this came out, it became more and more obvious that there is no real plan. There's no legislation out there. There's no full document out there. It's a bunch of ideas smooshed together, and then they're going to figure out how to – it's it's like having the goal in mind and then figuring out how to get to that goal rather than creating something to get there to begin with. It's working from the end backwards, and it's just not going to work. Ah, <sighs> what, what are we to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to talk more about health care legislation. Is this health care reform dead or alive? It's just, it's, just, it's like a zombie. It, it was dead. Now it's back. But it's really the walking dead. It's not going to go anywhere. When you thought it was safe to go back into health care, when you thought it was safe that you could move on and not worry about this, no, boom, they're trying to get rid of the ACA again. Uh, this is just an updated, worse version, actually. We talked about it a few weeks ago, of the American Health Care Act. Uh, the Freedom Caucus got what they wanted, which, again, ticked off the people who are moderates or in purple districts. And as of now, it's changing by the moment, but as of recording this, I believe there are 21 Republicans against it and something like 20 or so uh, Republicans who are, quote, unquote, undecided. But I look at that as when I put maybe to an event on Facebook, I really don't want to go, but I just don't want to say no until I just don't show up. So I think you only need two, basically two people to say no, and it's over. It's a, it's a mess. Well, the fact of the matter is – they need 216 votes. The Republicans need 216 votes. And according to a CNN interview with Paul Ryan earlier today, uh, he implied that the votes are simply not there yet. So until they have the votes, it's not wise for them to to call a vote, as we saw you know, a few weeks back when this failed. And we've said this before, and I'll say it again. They're saying that this week, it's this week or never. If it doesn't happen in the next couple of days, they're screwed. Did you by any chance see the uh, Jimmy Kimmel monologue from last night? I did after the fact. I, I started yeah. to see some articles about it this afternoon, went back and watched a clip of it, and, you know, it was very emotional. Yeah, I, I was sitting there crying at, like, you know, one in the morning yesterday. So Jimmy Kimmel had a uh, – his wife had a baby last Monday, and it was born with a heart defect, and uh, they had to have like, immediate surgery and get it fixed. And one of the things that Jimmy Kimmel really pushed that – that heart defect was a preexisting condition, and – Things like that happen, and if you don't have the money that Jimmy Kimmel has, or you don't have good insurance, or you don't have the opportunities, you may have to choose between your child living and dying because the healthcare system is bad and you can't afford to save their life. And he got, he got very emotional, and you saw Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton both actually reached out, reached out either on Twitter or to him personally today to say, you know, right on, keep the message going. And this is something you, you could see in, in his face how real this was. And maybe it takes a celebrity to actually have to deal with this kind of stuff to show them how important our health care is and that you can't gut what's there now and bring it with an inferior product because people who aren't Jimmy Kimmel are going to end up paying the ultimate price. Right. And as you mentioned, this is what the fight, the big fight over this version of the bill is about. It's about the pre-existing conditions. And there's a disconnect between what's going on in the House and, and the Oval Office because in an interview this week, the president seemed to think that pre-existing conditions were going to be covered in this bill. But in actuality, uh, the bill that is out there now does allow insurers to charge people with things like cancer, diabetes or other pre-existing conditions, heart conditions like Jimmy Kimmel's son. It allows them to charge higher rates if they allow for their continuous coverage to lapse. So the president wasn't even aware that this, in fact, is in the bill. If pre-existing conditions are covered, wink, wink, wink. Not really. You know, that's how they get around it. They say, yeah, they are, but it's so easy for them, like you said, for them to charge people more money. It's it's ridiculous. I can't see this passing, but you know, stranger things have happened. We have three days left in this week. Who the hell knows what's going to go on? We'll, we'll keep an eye on it. 
Uh, one of the things that I got, Congress did something right. I can't believe it. Um, Congress finally agreed on a spending bill to avert a government shutdown. Clap, clap, clap. Good for you guys. The agreement was a $1.1 trillion spending bill, um, and it'll avoid things shutting down to September. And it's funny that it's still September because Trump actually advocated for a shutdown today. He tweeted out and said, the reason for the plan negotiated between the Republicans and Democrats is that we need 60 votes in the Senate, which are not there. We either elect more Republican senators in 2018 or change the rules now to 51 percent. Our country needs a good quote unquote shutdown in September to fix this mess. So first of all, he wants to move it to 50, you know, 51 senators instead of the 60 senators, which Mitch McConnell actually came out and said there's bipartisan support against that. That's not going to happen. But he's also out there saying a shutdown would be good. And during uh, the press conference today uh, with Sean Spicer, everybody was asking, what is a good shutdown? It, what the, and they, they can't answer that. They're full of crap. This coming from the president of the United States is unheard of and it's unconscionable. And especially considering that according to a poll conducted by CNN and ORC back in March, 72 percent of Americans want Donald Trump to reach bipartisan compromises rather than try to pass laws that he thinks are right without Democrats, without crossing party lines. And even included in this, 57% of Republicans say that Donald Trump should try to reach compromise. So the idea that he would be championing a shutdown to prove a political point, that's that's terribly wrong. And it's funny to point out what you said. Yeah, they want people to have bipartisan uh, work ethics, uh, come together, make sure this gets done, to working together, Republicans and Democrats. Uh, today, during Sean Spicer's pressure, they had the White House budget director uh, – oh, God, he came out uh, – Mick, Mick Mulvaney, I believe his name is. He acted a little aggressive, I, I will say. He claimed angrily that the White House – they won. The Democrats lost, even though what we'll talk about in a second is you know, the, the reverse. It's not what happened. It was akin to Sean Spicer coming out and saying that the the, the crowd at the inauguration was the biggest period. It wasn't true. And he was very pissed off that the Democrats were claiming victory and that he thought this was a bipartisan effort and now they're claiming victory. Shame on the Democrats. That's all Trump ever does is say that he's he won, he's the best, screw the Democrats. So you know, they're the ones acting like, quote, unquote, snowflakes, I think, at this moment. Mm. Yes, you know, the Republicans need some of the Democrats because of the Freedom Caucus, because of the fracture in the Republican Party within Congress. So this is a big win for the Democrats. Yeah, we're going to go through the winners and the losers here, as you can say. And I, I stole some of this from The Hill, a couple from Vox here or there. Uh, so the Democrats, yeah, they're the minority. They showed the muscle they have or the muscle they can at least exert in these situations. The White House and the GOP wanted big-time spending cuts. Didn't happen. Trump wanted funding for the border wall. Wasn't in there regardless of what was said today. Uh, Trump wanted penalties for sanctuary cities. Wasn't in there. There was no rollback on environmental programs. Uh, there was funding for ACD subsidies, Planned Parenthood, minors' health benefits, Medicaid payments for Puerto Rico. You know, uh, Trump basically said Puerto Rico dropped dead. We don't care about you guys. No, they're okay. So these are all wins that came out from the Democrats, which, you know, again, I want to applaud them. These are all good things. It doesn't matter whether you're on the right or the left. These are positive things that came out of this bill. Well, Trump can't complain too much because, as you said, the funding for the border wall wasn't there. However, an additional one and a half billion dollars was allocated for border security. <laughs> so there's a step in the right direction for Donald Trump. Yeah, but he did up the wall. <laughs> right. He did lose, in a sense, uh, with the sanctuary cities. And also this week, a federal judge blocked 
his plan to withhold funding from those cities that do not cooperate with the feds on deportation. So, you know, I guess, yeah, he did lose there. And I don't think we even have to say that a judge blocks something Trump did. I think it's just assumed at this point everything Trump does gets blocked. Sorry, these these rogue judges. Uh, it's funny, though, that you could actually say the Republicans were winners, too, because the government didn't shut down. That's the bar we've set these days, that uh, they're the ones that would have been been uh, blamed if this had happened, and rightly so, because they're the ones in power. But the government did not shut down, so good for the GOP. And, and you know, they got a few things in there. They got, a, yeah, you said additional border defense. Uh, they have defense spending. They froze the IRS's budget, so it wasn't horrible. But the good things that we mentioned a few minutes ago, Planned Parenthood, they were going to be gutted if Trump had his way. Didn't happen. Planned Parenthood is more than just abortions, guys. Go go read up on it. Um, Puerto Rico, about 900,000 900, Puerto Ricans were at risk of losing health care. This bill saved them. And yeah, again, remember, Puerto Ricans are American citizens. They're not. See, now, this shows the president's blatant lack of historical facts. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this a little later on. But, you know, the president should have a basic understanding of the history of the United States. Should. <laughs> they should. But he does not. No. Uh, coal miners, the, uh, who we've talked about in the past, about, you know, we think coal is a dead industry. It's the past. But these coal miners secured health care benefits for retirees, which is something that they need. Uh, fantastic. Uh, the issue of, issue of their pensions was kind of kicked down the, the, down the corner to, to another debate. But, you know, they got a win here, so that's good. And then, yeah, the military got more money to go fight ISIS. Although it's funny, a part of it is contingent upon Trump's uh, outlining a strategy to defeat ISIS, which we'll see if that actually happens. I'm not holding my breath on that. And Perhaps then, uh, Congress is calling his, his bluff on that one a little. You know, come up with anything. You know, show, At least show me, like, you know, this is X and these are the zeros, and the Xs are going to go shoot the zeros. It's, it's, it's more than, than he has right now. Get John Madden with the Telestrator, huh? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's all about the X's and the O's. Uh, the NIH, they were going to be cut by Trump by $1.2 billion. Congress just as a whole ignored him on that one and gave them an increase of $2 billion. The EPA was cut by 1%, which is phenomenal because Trump wanted to cut them by like 31%. So all in all, these things are all wins, and they show that Trump, who wouldn't shut up about a lot of these things, has no real power when it comes to this process. To go back to the National Institute for Health, according to Oklahoma Republican Representative Tom Cole, funding medical research is something that Republicans and Democrats easily agree on from an NBC News interview. So uh, perhaps a light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe there is some bipartisanship that will come out of this. Well, I, I would love just to hear the reasons. Why would you not want to fund that? It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, the losers are pretty obvious. Trump, the wall, the Freedom Caucus. Trump didn't get what he wanted, regardless of what you see at press conferences or what Mick Mulvaney has to say. Trump did not get what he what he wanted. He is not the master negotiator. He got taken to school on this one. Wrong, wrong. I got everything I wanted. It was all in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the wall will be standing tall by day's end. So, you know, I guess we'll worry about this come August or September when whenever this is due next. And we'll see if the president still goes out there and advocates for a good shutdown uh, and, all, and all the people who have to go home and be furloughed because of that. How many times do we have to go through this and do the same song and dance before we learn our lesson and actually compromise and actually govern well? As Cindy Lauper said, time after time, just never going to end, it seems like. Uh, Trump had, they had some scary comments this week, some scary and bizarre comments. We'll start with 
Uh, their thoughts on the First Amendment. So this weekend, White House Chief of Staff Rance, Rance, excuse me, Rance. I can never say his name correctly. Uh, Rance Priebus, but that's that's a really bizarre name. And I love it. Really they pointed is. Out, front and back, first first and last names. Very very different. Someone pointed out, I think it was during the election, that if you take all the vowels, though Rance actually pointed that himself. If you take all the vowels out of his name, it says RNC PRBS, so Republican National Committee Public Relations BS. That, that is very fitting for him. Anyways, he was speaking to ABC's Jonathan Carl, and Carl asked Priebus about Trump's tweets about changing libel laws uh, to go after the media and said, you know, that'll take a uh, constitutional amendment. And Priebus is like, yeah, that's something we've looked at, uh, but whether it goes anywhere will be a different story. So Trump basically wants to change the First Amendment so that he can sue people who insult him, which is ironic because all he does is insult people. Well, to put people's minds at ease slightly, perhaps. <laughs> article Article 5 of the United States Constitution outlines the amendment process, and there's only two ways that this can be done. One is if a two-thirds vote in both houses of Congress proposes a constitutional amendment, or two, a constitutional convention is called by two-thirds of state legislatures. The president has no constitutional role in the amendment process. So anything coming from the Trump White House will not affect change in our constitutional amendments. Congress or the state legislatures would have to do so. And of the 27 amendments that we do have, none of them have been passed, ratified by a call for a constitutional convention amongst the states. So most likely it would have to come out of Congress. And I don't see that happening since there are Democrats and people who oppose Donald Trump in that body. Yeah, to me, it's not disturbing that it could happen because it won't. It's disturbing that the president has thought about it. Uh, you know, it's sure Nixon had his list of enemies, but he didn't change the Constitution to go after them. It's, it's something only Trump would do. Seems like we say that a lot, Jess. Uh, I should be used to it by now, but sadly, I am not. Uh, Trump also had some bizarre th- statements this week on Andrew Jackson, on the Civil War. So Trump seems to have this like man crush on Andrew Jackson and talked about him in the Civil War. Uh, he said, I mean, had Andrew Jackson been a little later, you wouldn't have had the Civil War. He was a very tough person, but he had a big heart. He was really angry with what he saw uh, and what was happening with the Civil War. There's there's no reason for this. By the way, Jackson died like 16 years before the Civil War ever actually happened, so I don't know how he could be angry about what he saw with the Civil War. Well, for one, I'm surprised that Donald Trump even knew that Andrew Jackson was a president and not a member of uh, a singing group back in the late 60s, early <laughs> 70s. But he, he must have heard that Andrew Jackson was a populist, and so he kind of glommed on to to that and started studying up some. But Andrew Jackson, not necessarily somebody that you would want to compare yourself to as a president of the United States. He then went on to say he thinks it's you know surprising that people don't realize you know, why the Civil War happened. Nobody ever asks why the Civil War happened. Um, I don't know. I've been in high school and taken history class. I'm pretty sure they cover that. I think it has something to do with that uh, existential crisis over slavery and states' rights. No, no, no. You're asking the wrong questions, Kevin. Come on. Ask the real question. Yeah. I mean, did Trump not go to school? Did Trump not get the basic education that most people in America get? It's ridiculous. I mean, it wasn't like he grew up in the South. No, no hate against the South, but you know, sometimes um, down when it comes to the Civil War, things are taught a little differently. But you no, mean like, the War of Northern Aggression? Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I didn't want to say it, but you, you go for it. And then, of course, it all becomes obvious later on 
why he has this crush on on Jackson because uh, you know he was a mean nasty guy and he confronted the people who were you know defying defying him. I mean, if you look at Trump's mind, he's a martyr fighting the fake news media and the people who are against him. In his mind, Jackson did the same thing. Well, in so many ways, Donald Trump compares to Andrew Jackson, but in some major ways, uh, other major ways, he's vastly different. I mean, for one, Jackson was the victim of not winning the Electoral College in his first attempt at the presidency in 1824. He didn't win the Electoral College. The House of Reps chose John Quincy Adams. Again, Andrew Jackson was critical of government favoring the rich, which is why he was critical of and went after the Bank of the United States, because it was favorable to the rich. That's something very different from what Donald Trump would uh, would have in his government. But Andrew Jackson also, as we mentioned before, not necessarily the most humanitarian of our presidents. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is the man who signed off on the Indian Removal Act in 1830, where 45,000 Native Americans were removed from southeastern states to territories west of the Mississippi River. And that removal allowed for white slave owners to access more land to grow cotton, further expanding the industry of slavery. And what do they call that, by the way? The Trail of Tears. The Trail of Tears. It sounds positive. I'm glad I, I would be associated with it. And wasn't he, he was a slave owner himself. Absolutely. He also did some other things, like violating the First Amendment by ordering postmasters to stop delivering anti-slave literature in the South. So... Yeah, I'm not so sure Donald Trump's take on whether or not Andrew Jackson would have prevented the Civil War is accurate. You know, I understand it was, for lack of a better word, a different time. Uh, we have to judge presidents by what was going on. And you can let some things maybe pass and some things not. All that aside, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be comparing myself to Jackson of any of the – I mean – I wouldn't consider myself to Zachary Tyler. I think he was a drunk. Uh, there are certain people you don't want to be. You know, I wouldn't Taft. He got like stuck in the bathtub or something. You know, that's actually my sister-in-law's like long, long lost relative, President Taft. But uh, you, you know, you, you don't want to associate with certain presidents because of some things in their past. But he does. He just looks at the very superficial uh, facts you can find about these guys and just takes it and runs with it. Well, I know that the president hates political correctness, but you know. If Andrew Jackson wasn't uh, didn't have such a checkered past, perhaps he wouldn't be being removed from the $20 bill. Goodbye. Well, now I want to take a moment to uh, introduce you to one of our fellow podcasts on the Ace Podcast Network. Yo, you should listen to The Devilish Debaters. If you're a nerd and you like asking really broad philosophical questions like, what is the point of having borders in the first place? Or, what's a better form of government than democracy? then you should listen to The Devilish Debaters. That's The Devilish Debaters, and don't forget to check out our Twitter, at DevilPod. Finally today, I want to talk about another interview. Trump does all these interviews, and he's wacky every single time he does one. Uh, But this one, I think, takes the cake, at least for the last weekend. He uh, spoke to ABC News' John Dickerson, uh, and towards the end of it, Dickerson asked him about his relationship with President Obama. And Trump says, you know, he was really nice to me at first, and then he wasn't, blah, blah, because of, you know, the surveillance and, and all that stuff. And, and Dickerson says, like, well, you know, what do you mean by the surveillance? And Trump says, oh, you, you can figure that out yourself. But uh, Dickerson you know, wasn't, didn't wake up yesterday. He wasn't born yesterday. And he was like, I don't, I don't want to be called fake news. Can you give me, you know, from the president of the United States what you mean? And, uh, and in the end, when it comes to the surveillance, he asked Trump, can I hold you to your statements in the past on President Obama's surveillance? And Trump says, you can't hold me to anything, which is not what you want to hear a president saying. 
Absolutely not. You can't make this stuff up. It's like dealing with a child. And sadly, that child is our president. So if you can't hold a president to something, then then what good is he? It, what people of Trump's stature usually say is, you know, my word is my bond. You know, that's, that's all I have. But no, it's it's the reverse for our president. And then once uh, Dickerson uh, pushed him on this a little bit more, he was basically dismissed. You know, he made a Trump made a little hand motion, said, you know, okay, that's enough, thank you, and went and sat behind his desk. Basically, shut down the interview because he didn't want to answer this question. And I had to laugh at John Dickerson, kind of just had like a goofy like smile laugh on his face as he was leaving because he's like, he knows how ridiculous this is, and he knows that he got Trump and that Trump was too afraid to answer the question. What else – what other reaction could Dickerson have had? What, what can you do in that situation as a professional journalist but laugh at the fact that the president waved you off and went and sat behind his desk because he has no answer? Like many of us, it's like laughing so you don't cry. That's, 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 that's sad that but true. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're at the time of the show where we go to Kevin's Corner. So, Kevin, take it away. Well, Jesse, we talked earlier that Rance Priebus commented on the Trump administration's inquiry into amending the First Amendment to the Constitution, and that's of grave concern. An assault on the First Amendment is a serious threat to the continuance of our democracy. The freedom of the press to question and criticize the leaders of our government is what sets the United States apart from the authoritarian regimes such as North Korea, Russia, Turkey even, where free speech has been denied. If we lose the First Amendment protections of the press, we lose the watchdog of our democracy and imperil the future of this great nation. Mm, and I feel more in peril every day that passes. <laughs> well, thank you, Kevin. For that, Kevin's Corner, thank you for uh, another wonderful show. Remember, everybody, you can go to our website at www.grabthembythepod.com. There you'll find all the links to our social media, to where you can listen to us. Um, you can see our, our handsome faces on there. And, uh, you know, who knows, maybe uh, we have some new listeners from the uh, Eastern Connecticut State University uh, section um, of the political world uh, just from this weekend. We were there, and uh, if, if you're there, give us a shout-out. We're, we're glad to have you. And by the way, that's our alma mater, so so we love you guys. E-C-S-U. All right, enough of that uh, self-indulgent uh, college nonsense. It's been wonderful, Kevin, and uh, we'll see you, our lovely fans, and you, Kevin, next week. Later. Later.